0: to Sunday Sermons from Warren Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org. Turn with me to Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 17. Romans chapters 9 through 11 are some very... um, deep theological issues we've tried to cover them verse by verse um they're different perspectives as to what these three chapters teach Uh, from my perspective and perspective here at our church we believe that uh, God has a plan and a purpose for the nation of Israel and that God has a purpose and plan for the church and that one day there will be One body, one people, um, under the blood of Christ. But we know that throughout history, we see that uh, God has his way of moving and working. And sometimes those ways are are very difficult for us to understand. In fact, there are those who teach that God is finished with Israel. And that uh, the church is the fulfillment of all the Abrahamic promises uh, that God gave through Abraham to the nation of Israel. I differ in that. My view is that, as we'll look and see today, particularly about this issue called the olive tree. Now, this is a very difficult passage, but it's very clear, I think, what Paul is saying here in God's relationship to the nation of Israel and his relationship to us. Why is that so important? Well, it's important to me for one major reason, that if God does not fulfill every promise he made to Israel, including physical promises and spiritual promises, if he does not fulfill those, then how can we trust God to fulfill his promises to us, the church? So God is not a a, a capricious God who makes a promise just to get your attention. You know, like some politicians do. A little humor there, very little. But God will accomplish everything he has promised. Do you believe that? I do too with all my heart. So let's look in Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 17. And if some of the branches were broken, broken off. You remember last week we talked about that. If some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, talking about the Gentiles, were grafted in among them, and, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Now here's a warning to those branches that have been grafted in, oh, to the good olive tree, the wild branches have been grafted in we got any horticulturist here this morning they could stand here and tell you about uh, grafting and stuff that goes on with fruit trees and other trees as well but in verse 18 he says here's a warning do not boast against the branches but if you boast remember that you do not support the root but the root supports you Let's just get one thing settled here, The Lord God says. In verse 19, you will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. In other words, don't be prideful. For if God did not spare the natural branches, talking about the nation of Israel, he may not spare you either. So he's saying to the church, church, don't get so, you know, full of yourself. Verse uh, 22, therefore consider the goodness and the severity of God. You know, we... We like to talk about the love of God, and there's a lot of preachers out there today talking about the love of God, but you cannot preach the true love of God without the wrath of God. The severity of God. On those who fail, severity but toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. Verse 23, and they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, oh, this is the promise. If they don't continue in unbelief, talking about the nation of Israel, and we believe that one day they will turn to, their, to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. He says, if they do not continue in their unbelief, they will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in, and say that next word with me, again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree which is wild by nature and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? You say, my soul, I don't know anything about olive trees. What is God saying here? Well, there's a lot of representation here that God is using. Um, The first thing that we see here in these verses 17 through 24, it's, it's really important for us to understand the different aspects here. The olive tree that Paul mentions represents the Jews. And the branches which are grafted into the tree represent the Gentiles. The root is the root of faith and belief, represents Abraham, who is the father of faith. As we know, Genesis 14 tells us that Abraham believed God or had faith in the promises of God, and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. In other words, justified. He says, And of our faith is Jewish, the natural branches are the Jews, And we, the Gentiles, or the church, were grafted into the trunk so that the life in the root might flow through us and bear fruit. You see, the nation of Israel, as we talked about last week, what was the promise in the Abrahamic promise? Through you, the whole world will be blessed. Because through you, the Messiah is coming. Well, they rejected the Messiah, so God... Brought, brought to us what we know today as the church. It wasn't a plan B, it was all in God's plan anyway. But the church now is the one who is being used to proclaim the Messiah and the good news around the world. That's the overview of how Gentiles, you and me, the church today, came to experience the spiritual blessings that were promised through Abraham. Because our salvation is all by mercy and by grace. And it leaves no room for boasting, as he warned twice. So let's look in verses 17 and 18. He says, the first thing we see is the warning against boastfulness. The branches who are broken off are the Jews, collectively. But there are many Jews who are saved today because they have accepted their Messiah. So we're not talking about here... uh, the idea of individuals who who uh, have refused the the message of the gospel, because many Jews are being saved all over the world today, and they're coming and being a part of the church. But the fulfillment of God's promise through Abraham was that all of Israel would be saved. Who is all of Israel? All of those who will believe. Now, not every biological Jew. We've said that dozens of times, and I hope you get that. It does not mean every biological Jew. It doesn't mean the nation geographically as is, is Jews or, or the idea that, that the nation is somehow going to be greater than the whole world because it's not. But there's a warning here. They were broken off because of what? Their rejection of the Messiah. And you today, if you reject Jesus as the Messiah, reject Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are not just cut off, you are lost and forever lost. Jesus warned the nation of Israel and the Jews. If you look in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 43, what does it say? Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. Now, there's the warning that Jesus gave from Matthew chapter 21. Remember that Jesus came to his own, as it says in John chapter 1. Jesus came into his own, and his own received him not. But in verse 12, it says, But as many as did receive him, he gave them power to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. So the, the point regarding boastfulness is that if we were simply grafted into the root of, of Israel's faith, we certainly have no room for boasting. Pride is such an easy vice for us to entertain and to think about that somehow he, re, he rejected the Jews, but look at us Gentiles. He, he loves us more. No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. In fact, in Romans chapter 4, if you go back to there, to verses 9 through 12, Paul points out that, Abraham was declared righteous before he was circumcised. What did that show? It shows that he was the father of faith not only for the circumcised, the Jews, but he was also for the uncircumcised. He was the father of faith of all who are called today the sons of Abraham. So all we need to remember when we begin to feel superior about who we are as the church or to think that you know, through the, through the centuries, Christians many times have been so anti-Semitic. But I want you to know something. When God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you, God meant that. And if this nation... Or if you as an individual of this country ever turns their back on the nation of Israel, we are setting ourselves in the place for the wrath of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be in that position. So then there's also a warning in verses 19 through 21 against pride. So it's a theme here. He warned us against boastfulness. He warned us against pride. And in verses 19 through 21, he does the same. It comes here. It, what Paul does, he suggests this, that the Gentiles might be tempted to think that the Jews were broken off for the purpose that they could be grafted in. In other words, God saw, God saw the, the Gentiles and, and the church, and he says, I think I like them better. I'm just going to do away with the Jews. No, no. And there are those who have thought that kinds of nonsense through the years. Gentile pride would be understandable, if not excusable, but such is not the case. In verse 20, he says, Because of their unbelief they were broken off, and anyone who does not believe will be separated and alienated from God forever. Believe what? Believe the gospel message. How are the Jews saved? Because they were a chosen people? No, they're saved by accepting their Messiah, Jesus Christ. The same way anyone is ever saved, by faith, by grace through faith. So there's a warning against pride. Then we see there's a warning against presumption in verses 22 through 24. These verses are are really profound when you think about this the idea of presumption presuming things or assuming things verse 22 it says therefore consider the goodness and the severity of god on those who fail severity but toward you goodness if you continue in his goodness otherwise you also will be cut off and they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. In other words, God says there is the promise and the fulfillment that all of Israel will be saved. He says if they will turn and believe, I will graft them back in. Now here's um, something that's really unique. The entire idea he's talked about here is some horticultural stuff, which would be very well-known Uh, To people of that day. For you and me. If you've never been around anything like this. It would be difficult for us to understand. But what he does here. The cultivated olive tree. He uses here as an analogy. Was the original nation of Israel. From the root. To the fruit. Abraham. Abraham. Believed God, was accounted unto him for righteousness, the father of faith. Through him was to come a great nation, the symbolic of the olive tree. The olive tree then was to have branches and bear fruit. That fruit was uh, spreading the good news of the Messiah around the world. Everybody was to be blessed through that nation. The branches, though, rejected Christ because the branches represent the nation. The branches rejected Christ and so were broken off. So here is what happens the wild olive tree. Now, what's the difference between a, a regular olive tree, a cultivated olive tree, and a wild olive tree? A wild olive tree bears no fruit, it cannot. And so the Gentiles are represented here by a wild olive tree or wild olive branches. In other words, here's the, cultivated, here's the cultivated olive tree. The branches who were supposed to bear fruit, the proclamation of the Messiah around the world, they rejected. God cut those branches off. He took the wild olive tree representative of the Gentiles. He took the branches off of a wild olive tree and grafted it into the cultivated tree. Now, there's a problem with that. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. The natural branches, Paul continues, will one day be grafted back in. That was the promise. That is... If wild branches were grafted in, how much more reasonable is it to think about that the original branches could be grafted back in? Well, there's a couple of problems. Problem number one with what's going on here is found in verse 24. Um, It's in this phrase, contrary to nature. What's contrary to nature here? What Paul is described here with this grafting in of the wild olive tree branches. What Paul is described here is contrary to nature. Why is it contrary to nature? Because contrary to how olive growers would have done it, wild olive trees, now you've got to follow this, so put your thinking caps on. And I wrote it down so I would follow it as well. Wild olive trees at that time did not bear fruit. They produced no olives, and they were good only for wood from the trunk and the branches. So to get a wild olive tree to bear fruit, a branch from a cultivated olive tree would be grafted onto the wild olive tree. And in time, then the wild olive tree would then begin bearing fruit through the cultivated branches. Now, you follow that? To make a a wild olive tree produce fruit, you take the branches off of the cultivated olive tree and graft it into the wild olive tree. And in time, those branches then would would then begin to bear fruit. But that is just the opposite of what Paul has described. His illustration is contrary to nature. Now, why? Because Paul says God has taken the wild branches and grafted them onto the cultivated tree. The opposite of how it was normally done. And to put it in people terms, the normal way would have been to graft the cultivated Jews onto the wild Gentile tree in order that the Gentile tree would begin bearing fruit. But contrary to nature, God took the wild Gentiles and grafted them onto the cultivated Jewish tree. Now there's a lot more that can be said on that. But it's just simply this, that God took and replaced those branches who represent the the Jews... And set them aside, cut them off. What do you do when you cut a branch off from, from the vine? What happens to them? They wither away. So is the nation of Israel completely cut off forever? They're, they're, the branch is there. Or you lay a branch down. It's the, the leaves are going to stop uh, being green. There's not going to be any sustenance or, or nutrients going to them. So the branch is going to die. But listen... God is a God of resurrection. But there's a second problem as well. Sometime in the future, I don't know when it's going to happen, but sometime in the future, Paul says God is going to take dead branches. Who do they represent? Israel. God is going to take dead branches which have been laying around, separated from the life of the trunk for at least 2,000 years, and he's going to graft them back into the olive tree, and they're going to live. Now, you think about this. We as Gentiles in the church, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. And he, the scripture talks about there, the Holy Spirit of God, that he has now quickened us to life. We were literally raised from the dead. We were dead men walking and didn't even know it. And if you're here today without Christ, you may be breathing God's air. Your heart may be pumping your blood, and you may be sensing and hearing all the things going on, but if you don't know Christ, you are dead. And you need to be brought to life. You need to be born again. You say, well, preacher, where do you get that? I mean, did God ever do that before? Has God ever said anything like that before? Oh, yes. I'm glad you asked. I'd like to tell you this morning. Ezekiel chapter 37. Remember that chapter? That chapter is talking about the nation of Israel. In Ezekiel chapter 37, where we read that Ezekiel was asked by God, he said, I want you to go to this valley of dry bones. And I want you to preach to the bones. Sounds like preaching at a Baptist church on Sunday morning to a bunch of dead people. (laughs) A little humor there. Now, I don't know if I would have taken that assignment go over here to the graveyard and preach to the dead bones in the graveyard. But Ezekiel obeyed God. And he went to the valley of the dry bones. And he began to preach to the dry bones and to the skeletons. And when Ezekiel began to preach, the bones, it said, began to stir and started coming together. Leg bone to the ankle bone, ankle bone to the foot bone, all of that. There's a rattling going on. I want to tell you, when the Word of God is preached, there ought to be some noise going on somewhere because it ought to be convicting the sinner. and It ought to be encouraging the saints. But he began to preach, and when he began to preach, the bones began to stir and come together. And next thing you know, flesh and muscle began covering the bones. And in Ezekiel chapter 37 and verse 10, it says, And they lived and stood upon their feet an exceedingly great army. The rest of the passage in Ezekiel goes on to say that what Ezekiel was seeing, and here's the key, and here's the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise to the nation of Israel. This is what Ezekiel teaches in chapter 37 what Ezekiel was seeing was the restoration of Israel, not just from their captivity. Because they're still, they are still branches that have been cut off. Why? Because they have refused to accept the Messiah. So them coming back from captivity is not what Ezekiel is talking about here. It may have been partially fulfilled with that, that they would come back and be a great nation again. But the rest of the passage goes on to say that what Ezekiel was was seeing was the restoration of the nation of Israel. How is God going to bring Israel back to life one day? He is going to put his spirit in the nation of Israel and cause her to live once again. Ezekiel chapter 37, 11 through 14. And if God can cause dead bones to live again... It certainly would be no great task for him to make dead branches live again. Amen. One of these days, those dead branches that were cut off of that cultivated tree and they, the, the, um, uh wild olive branches were grafted on one day those dead branches are going to be grafted on to those wild olive branches and they're all going to bear fruit and that's going to be what God's fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise is Jew and Gentile alike under one banner one God one faith one Lord Jesus Christ Now the summary and the importance of all of this is that from the beginning God has been in control and believe me he is still in control. It may look chaotic to us, and believe me, I think it is at times. I look at the world. Every time I listen to stuff on TV anymore and there's political garbage going on, and I listen to how the folks are anti-God and anti-the church and doing everything they can to be anti-Israel, I just, say, I just start grinning and say, even so, come Lord Jesus. But here's what we need to look at. What are some of the words to believers today? He gives them to us here. We see the necessity of faith. You and I today, listen, we're saved by faith, Ephesians 2. We're sanctified by faith. Acts chapter 26. We're purified by faith, Acts chapter 15. And we live by faith, Galatians 2.20. We stand by faith, Romans 11.20. We walk by faith, 2 Corinthians 5.7. Faith, believe, is at the very core of our relationship with God. The Jews were cut off because of unbelief. And it is by faith that Gentiles... Appropriate the blessings of being grafted in to the olive tree. Abraham as that root who was declared righteous because of faith. Genesis 15 and verse 6. How's a person saved? They're saved because, you know, of their nationality? No. Everyone, whether it be Jew or Greek, bond or free, male or female... The ground is level at the cross. And there's only one way to be saved, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. And only through him. So that's the necessity of faith. Faith is the story of the Christian life. I don't think I could even tie my shoes in the morning, even though it's getting harder and harder. I don't have to tie these. They just kind of slip on. The older you get, the more you like them. But when I get dressed to go to the farm, I've got these big old Brogan boots I put on. And uh, I have to bend over in time. I'm telling you, that's getting more and more difficult. I sometimes have to get a running start at it, you know. (laughs) I know y'all don't do that. Y'all are all in great shape and all that stuff. I see all those halos over your heads out there. You're just shining bright. But the necessity of faith, I don't think I could tie my boots without faith. The necessity of fear. We're told told in this passage that we should fear the Lord. What is fear? The Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, it doesn't mean that we we walk around thinking God's going to zap us with something. It means an awesome respect and honor to give glory to the God of all the ages. We don't fear God as a slave fears his master, but as a son fears his father. That latter fear is a fear of awe and honor and respect, which produces in us the desire to obey. Like Psalm 130 and verse verse 4 says, there is a forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Our fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, as Proverbs 1 and verse 7 says. Then we see the necessity of faithfulness. The life that begins in faith continues in faith and is going to be concluded in faith. Revelation 2, 10 says, Be faithful, how long? Until death. And I will give you the crown of life. Paul warned the Gentiles that they would be cut off just as Israel was if they failed to walk in faithfulness. you know what? All of us have different gifts and talents and abilities, and we're, I'm grateful for that because all the differences make us stronger. I mean, I wish I could sing like some of these songbirds up here every Sunday. I have coveted, I have to admit, confess, I have coveted to be able to play guitar like these guys play guitar. I just can't do it. I've tried. I know the chords, I can strum along, but I don't know where to go after that one. (laughs) Somebody had to shout out G, C. Because I I mean, you know, when I was in college, we had to take a music course to be able to graduate. And um, so I took this course. You know what our final exam was? You had had to sit in the chapel, you were all separated, sitting there in the chapel. The professor would go. He went to the grand piano that was in there. And he would hit a key. And we would have to write down what key that was. I said it was the white one. (laughs) Because the black ones there have a unique sound. They're the minor keys. You know, they have a unique sound. And I'd write down a white one. I I tell you, I struggled. You know what I had to do? I sat there humming. Do, re, mi, fa, so. I was sitting there humming, trying to get in tune with what the piano was. Problem was, I wasn't in tune. (laughs) Honey, you remember taking that course? It was horrible. It was terrible. I don't know how these music folks do all that stuff. Yeah, good. Gosh, you know, what's, you know what's, what's worse than a preaching singer? Is a singing preacher. So we all have our gifts, right? God gave me a big mouth and big ears. Then there's words about God. Words about God. Let's wrap this up. The goodness of God in the land of the living. Amen? Amen. You know, as Jerry Clower said, ain't God good? I mean, I'm telling you, in verse 22, it says, consider two things. One of which, it says in verse 22, is the goodness of God. His goodness is displayed in his unmerited favor to the Gentiles. And to all who will come in faith. And the very fact uh, that very fact takes away all the ground for our boasting. We have nothing to boast about except for the Lord. All of our boasting and presumptions should be wrapped up in the fact that it is God's unmerited favor. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. They are fresh every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Remember that old hymn? Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning in him. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. The goodness of God. Then we see the severity of God. God's wrath. That same verse, we're told to consider the severity of God as well. In verse 22, if we think God only is a kind, gentle, benevolent grandfather who's up there wanting to, to, to do all the, the good stuff for us um, and not bring judgment upon sin and rejection of his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, you are mistaken. It's very easy to get comfortable with the grace and the goodness of God and forget about the wrath of God. It was His wrath that put His Son on the cross. Jesus bore the wrath of God for you and me. And if we reject Him, His wrath will be upon us. So I plead with you today. I exhort you by the mercies of God, as Romans 12 says. So God's severity is God's justice as well as his forgiveness and seen in the case of Israel. Do you think God has been severe with Israel? Yes, he has. Is his goodness going to shine once again for them? Yes, it will. Because those dead branches... Just like in Ezekiel 37, those dead bones, he promises that those dead branches are going to be grafted back in and brought to life and bear fruit. Because we see the ability of God. Bringing spiritual dead people back to life is an ability that only God can do. His power and his grace are what make us able and makes him able to do what is impossible. Could any of us ever have given ourselves new life in Christ? No. What can a dead man do for himself? Nothing. Can Israel will herself into a faith relationship with her Messiah? No, only God can do that. And only God is able to meet the needs that you and I have on a daily basis. Listen, don't put your faith in men. You know, I love you and, and I believe you love me, right? Hmm, some of you are not sure. and I, I'm beginning to be a little unsure. I didn't hear but just a few. Let's try that again. You know I love you and, and, and I think y'all love me? Okay, that sounded better. I'll, I'll take that one. But you know what? As much as I love you, I may fail you. I will never fail you intentionally, but I may fail you in some way. I may either not do something you think I should, or do something that that you think I shouldn't, or I may you may think that that uh, I don't love you uh, because I uh, you know of some reason or another that you feel neglected or you have fallen through the cracks or or whatever the issue may be. But let me tell you something: I am a human being. And so is all those people sitting around you. And guess what? So are you. And we're going to fail. That's why we don't put our that's why we don't put our faith in men. We put our faith in God. And I may fail you. And I'll apologize to you right now if I do. And I'm going to get an indulgence here. You know, I'm selling an indulgence and I'm going to say I apologize now for when I'll fail you somewhere in the future. Because while we're still here in the flesh, there are going to be times when we just fail. But because of the goodness of God and the grace of God and our repentance, we can be brought back into a right relationship and in fellowship. Two fellows in the same ship, rowing in the same direction. Because if you're rowing in opposite directions, you're just going in circles. But when you've got unity, not uniformity, but unity with one message, one mind, that's why as a church when we do things, it is a church-wide event. We want everyone there. Now, I know because of schedules and things that are going on, we're having this big outreach, the Kids Fest thing, that's going to be going on at the ballpark. We need every member of Warren Community Church up there doing something. Whether it's drawing pictures on somebody's face. Face painting. Or whether whether it's playing a game. Listen, I learned to play a new game while we were in Dallas. This is what I I learned to play Farkle. (laughs) It's really nice. I mean, got dice in it and everything. (laughs) It was a fun game. We're going to have games set up. We're going to have blow-ups out there. You know, all those things. Everything. We need people out there sharing the gospel with those who will come to the community. We are one in christ so the ability of god only god can do what needs to be done and i want to encourage you today and then as we walk through i hope that you're getting the sermon outlines and you're filling them in and you're walking through and you're saving them putting them in a notebook because once we finish you will have a commentary on the whole book of romans that you can go back to and you can teach And bring it with you to the kids' fest, and just start preaching. But I want to close today with simply this. If you don't know Christ, you're dead in your trespasses and sin. That's what the scripture says, not me. And you know what the Bible says about uh, our sin? That the wages of sin is death. I'm glad it didn't stop there. Because it goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And whether you're Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter what nationality you are, what color your skin is, what heart you have, what area of the world you come from, we all need Jesus. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever the same Jesus that saved me on April the 18th, 1976, on Easter Sunday, will save you today, on May the 2nd, 2021. He's in the saving business. So if God's speaking to your heart today, this time of invitation, you come. Lord, we thank you today for your word. Thank you for not only the history lesson But the beautiful analogy of your faithfulness to your people and your purpose and plan never fails, even though in our humanity we fail. But your purpose is always going to be fulfilled and completed. And today, Lord, it was your purpose for some to come to this service today. They felt a tugging. They felt something drawing them here. Well, I really believe I know what it is. Lord, it was your Holy Spirit bringing them to this place where today they could give their heart and life to Jesus Christ. They could repent of their sin, acknowledge you as their Savior, and receive from you the gift of eternal life. And so today, that's my prayer. As your Holy Spirit is wooing and calling, that we'll just have the good sense to obey. And Lord, as we stand to sing this song, that we'll... If you've spoken to someone's heart to make a decision for Christ today, they'll stand up, step out, and step forward and proclaim that today is a new beginning for me as I receive Christ as my Savior. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons. If you want to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org.